Welcome to the Faith Church Peshtigo podcast. You can connect with us online at faithpeshtigo.com. We're also on Facebook. Just search for Faith Church Peshtigo. Today's podcast features a conversation between Pastor Jay and Pastor Robbie talking about the sermon from November 22nd, 2020. So did you like group projects in high school or did you hate them? Oh, well, it depends on the project. What does that mean? Like, I mean, what are we... What are we doing? I was never the aggressive one, and so I would, I feel like in group projects, it was typically like I would not feel comfortable putting forth any of the ideas, and so everyone else would throw out the idea, someone else would take charge and determine this is what we're going to do, and then no one else would want to do any of the work, and so I would end up doing all of it, but I would end up having to do somebody else's bad idea. That's kind of my general memory of group projects in school. There's like nothing positive about that. So when I it? asked you, okay, did so... you like group <laughs> projects or not? <laughs> well, I don't know. And then you just described the most horrific experience ever. And yeah, then I feel like that's going to be a, a that's going to be a, a no. Then I think an overall no. I feel like I had a few that I enjoyed. Like every now and again, you'd hit that like good collaborative creative team. And we would pull together some fun stuff, but that, I feel like I remember the alternative much more. That was definitely the rule, and the exception is one or two fun collaborative projects. If, so did other people, it sounds like then other people would have liked having you a part of the group. Oh, uh, almost certainly, because I, I didn't want to get the bad grade, and I liked, like, being creative or working on stuff like that, so... Um, if nobody else would do it, I would volunteer. And I also tend to overcommit and underdeliver. So, <laughs> so given that description, yeah. do you think that people enjoyed having me as a part of their group? I would think that people would enjoy having you as a part of the group. Yeah. Because everyone needs to have that person in the group that when the teacher says, all right, now who's willing to speak on behalf of the group? You want someone who's going to be excited about speaking on behalf of the group. And I feel like that would be you. I feel like you would be excited yeah. to speak on behalf of the group. So so that's interesting because I would say some people enjoyed having me be a part of the group. But me and group projects was spending 90% of the time trying to distract everyone from doing <laughs> the task at hand. <laughs> Only... Not inadvertently distracting, intentionally Yeah, intentionally trying. I mean, not intentionally. I wasn't trying to ruin everything. I just didn't care. I cared way more about, oh, now we get to talk to each other. We get to go down to the library together. I had no interest at all in actually doing any of the work. But then you're right. Like once push came to shove, so I was definitely not the one. If you were in my group, you would have done all the work. Um, and then on presentation day, I would rescue it here. So here's the, here's the clincher though. This is the deciding factor of whether or not I would have enjoyed having you in my group. When you were rescuing it on that last day, were you taking credit for all of the work done in the group or were you giving credit where credit was due? So for humor for a bit, I wanted to say like, obviously I'm taking credit for it, but no, I, I was the, I was the king of 
And, you know, Rebecca researched this and found this. And then the problem with doing that is I'd have to reach for, I, I would want everybody to be in the boat. Oh, yeah. So you'd always have the, you'd have the couple of people in the group that didn't do anything. Oh, yeah. You'd be like, and Carl. Yeah. <laughs> Carl, man, you were always there with those Dr. Peppers, buddy. That's right. Thanks for bringing the Dr. Pepper. It'd be things like that. So, no, I would I always. I feel like uh, you'd be good at that, though. Yeah. I Yeah, it just depends. There's always at least one person. So when I would get into a group, there's always the one person who would let out the, uh, <laughs> like, hey. So <laughs> I've always elicited that reaction hmm. from somebody. So I feel like I would I would be grateful that there was somebody there who would be happy to do the talking so I didn't have to. All right. Should we start the podcast? Yeah. Why don't you do the talking so I don't have to? Okay. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Faith Church Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Jay, and with me is Robbie. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. We are both pastors and elders at Faith Church in Peshtigo, which you all know that. All 12 of you know that. I hope so. I hope they do. Um, hey, so it's Thanksgiving week. That's fun. It is indeed. I'm excited about that. I like Thanksgiving. I do too. It's a little different this year. Not not so much of the large group gatherings. Hmm. At least we're not supposed to. But food. But right? food. Hopefully, yeah. Food. Yeah, we we are looking forward to that. Um, so this past weekend, uh, we joined together for worship as we have been doing, and it was deer season, so we were already lower because of the the COVIDs, but now add that. Add to that deer season. That that half our congregation was literally sitting in a tree. Yep. It's, uh, Joey yeah. was delighted by that, by the way. We we had to drive down down south yesterday, and we saw a, in, an orange-clad gentleman perched atop a tree along 41, which, sidebar, didn't seem like the wisest positioning. I mean, I'm hoping... Like he doesn't away right like away from the highway, but he yeah. was he was set up parallel to forty one. So it seems like if one sprung out to his left, uh, I would want to be far out of range. Um, but Joey saw him up in the tree. Joey is my five year old son, and he was delighted to see somebody up in a tree and asked immediately if he could go sit there. Mm. Did you let him? I did not. Okay. Uh, a, because it was a stranger, and B, because he was holding a fairly large firearm. Yeah, it's probably a good, good move. Good move. So um, I got uh, I got some interesting feedback this weekend. So uh, on the sermon, we, we've got a couple of questions that actually lined up with each other, so mm-hmm. I think we'll address those. But interesting is an interesting word because it doesn't really communicate positive or negative. Well, I'll let you be the judge. Here's what happened. Fair enough. Here's what happened. So I was talking with someone, a friend. So like this is, you know, uh, they don't they don't 100% know that I'm using this, but, you know. So they said, they asked me if I was a little distracted, like if I was okay this morning. Hmm. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was maybe a little, it's been an interesting morning. It's a little, maybe a little distracted. And uh, they said, uh, yeah, I could tell. And I said, oh, okay. Well, yeah, sorry. You know, I don't, and I, so I said, I said, I, yeah, it was not, was not one of my best sermons. 
And the person responded with, yeah, well, you can't hit a home run every time. (laughs) Which, at first, I was bummed. I was like, oh. And then I thought, wait, that means this person thinks I ever hit a home run. Hey, hey, hey. And so I thought, wow, okay. Good positive spin. Right. In fact, you could imply regularly hit home runs. That right. the exception is the non-home run sermon. Right. So, but then that that moment of bliss was like, was short-lived. Oh, no. Because immediately then what came into my head was, wait a second. There have been weeks where I know that it was not a very strong sermon. And most people will say, I thought that was great. Which was now being translated in my mind as... I thought that was great for you. <laughs> and all of a sudden I started thinking about being the kid in Little League who you're just hoping they get hit by a pitch so they get on base <laughs> or four balls. And if they make contact with the ball at all. Is it okay to hope a kid gets hit by a pitch? Well, not in the, in their fleshy parts. Not like okay. I don't want it to hurt them. But, you know, like so if they make contact with the ball – and then they get on base because, you know, in their mind, they rocketed a line drive at the shortstop and he struggled to get to it. And like and and then, you know, the kid ends up being safe. But in reality, he like dribbled it out there. The kid tripped over himself, <laughs> picks himself up, picks his hat back up, puts his hat back on, realizes the ball's there and then throws and barely misses getting the guy <laughs> out. But in his mind, he rocketed it. And so that's when I started thinking. I'm like, oh, no. Am I that kid? I'm the one that, like, I barely nubbed a single out. And people are like, hey, good job. No, I thought that was great. Is this all going through your mind while you're still while in, the I'm in the conversation? Or is this on the drive home? No, while I'm in the conversation. Dude, my brain, <laughs> it's so it so quickly goes around like, oh, yeah, but if you thought about this? <laughs> but if you thought about this one? And so, yeah, while I'm in the conversation... All of these thoughts are going through my mind like, oh, hey, oh, uh. how are you are, are you engaged in the conversation uh-huh. currently at hand? Or uh-huh. is it making it you are? Oh, yeah. We were talking about it? things like, you know, other stuff. I would struggle with that. My brain is never in one spot at once, which is part of my issues. It's just one of my many hmm. It happens all the time, man. Like on Sunday, I just had, uh, yeah, my brain's going on side conversation. I got, I got parts of my brain having conversations while, like the part that's speaking is telling the other parts to be quiet <laughs> so they can. <laughs> yeah, this is probably not instilling a lot of confidence in in me right now. No, well, Who yeah, knows? I'm trying. I'm I'm reevaluating if I want you in the group or not. It's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, actually, I'm impressed that you're able to multitask on, to that degree. You're able to have uh, multiple conversations with yourself while engaging fruitfully in a conversation with me. Yeah. Well, I do it all the time with you. I don't remember the last time I just focused on a conversation with you. That's a little hurtful. Well, can't all be home runs. (laughs) They can't all all be home runs. Those conversations can't be. So anyway. So you did get some some questions on Sunday that were directly sermon related. Sermon related. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I guess technically that one was too, but differently. Yeah. Well, you got the same one. So why I don't did. you word it? You do better at wording these. 
so you were were contrasting the the church in Colossae and Laodicea, who is also mentioned in that letter, and then and then tying that into Revelation chapter three and another letter that uh, the church in Laodicea received, and that in Colossians you get the clear impression that Paul is speaking to passionate believers and he's giving them encouragement and correction, but that you know clearly they are in Christ with him, um, and then. In Laodicea, it's a much more stark, or in uh, Revelation 3, rather, it is a much more stark, it's an exhortation, really. It's a warning that they are not what they think they are. And and Jesus, in love and in compassion, is warning them. And you set up that, that contrast in your sermon, as you may recall. I do. Um, that was really more for the listener than for you. I'm assuming you remember what you talked about the day before yesterday. Well, not based on our earlier conversation. <laughs> So the question that we got uh, that that I was able to discuss, and evidently you received the same question, is, is this a picture of, of losing salvation? Because if in the earlier letter, this is a group of people that are clearly saved, and in Revelation 3, that is in question, is this a, a picture of losing salvation? What say you, Jay? No. Excellent. Next question. Uh, we should probably unpack that a little bit more. Try. So, it's a good it's a good question. I yeah. So I got a very similar question, and so what's important about things like this, especially these seven letters, these warnings to the churches found in Revelation, I think they can be incredibly helpful to us. I think that they are absolutely meant as not only a warning for those churches in particular, but for all churches. And that's the key there. So one key I would say is these are warnings to churches, to church bodies, yes. not to individuals. So yes, those churches are made up of individuals and those individuals are, are they are part of the body. And so they're, they're not completely unrelated, but he's not, um, I don't believe saying that like, well, John, you used to be, uh, you used to to love me, and and now you don't. It's this body as a whole, this church family, and so, so that's one thing that we need to to keep in mind. So we don't know, like like I mentioned, it's thirty to forty years have have gone by. Uh, we don't know who is a part of that church at the time that Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians versus to the time that John wrote Revelation, right? Yes, I'm tracking so far. Okay. Agree. I thought maybe you'd jump in there with, you know, this is that I group work thing. Yeah, you agree. Um, you, that's That just harkened back to the days where I would do group presentations and I'd be looking to somebody else and be like, anybody else? No? Okay, so here I go. I'll just keep going then. Um, so so the question of, you know, it, it certainly seems like they were Christians. Paul counted them as Christians in the letter to the Colossians. And now we have this very firm warning. So that so the next question then that that kind of comes off of that is then well what happened? And I know you got that question of so okay, so now that we're thinking of this in terms of it being a church and not individuals, the question is like well then what happened between then and now? Yeah. So what do you think happened, Robbie? 
I mean, arguably what happens to the majority of churches in the world throughout Christian history. Um, and that is a, a kind of tapering off, in a sense. Um, the, the general rule of thumb, uh, at least it was a few years ago, it may have, um, this may have changed in the meantime, but if anything, I would argue it probably has gotten shorter. But the general rule of thumb is that the average lifespan of a church is roughly 40 years. So it would not be unusual, and, and I don't know why it would necessarily be any different then than it is now, but it would not be unusual that uh, typically a church would last about a generation or two. And so if this is about 40 years later, then it's actually not strange at all that the church would not necessarily reflect what it once was when it was initially planted. That, um, you know, whether or not you're, you know, there's new people who are coming in and whether or not that that original vision and, and that original active discipleship is um, is as central as it was in those first few years is is going to make that upcoming generation different. There's always a difference in new believers who are joining a brand new church and their children who are grown up in that church. Like there's always differences in, in what that looks like. And so, um, yeah, I think, I, I think it is, is a warning to every church that when you're about say roughly the age of our church, that, that it's, it's really important to, uh, to heed these kind of exhortations to say, uh, are we are we evaluating ourselves rightly, and and what kind of letter do we think we would receive from Jesus? Right, and so therein lies the the issue. Jesus is warning them based on what's what's going on. He's he's assessing them, and so you see his evaluation of the church, and then you see their own evaluation of themselves. Right, so so the clear thing is they. They aren't, they aren't a very good judge of themselves. And I think that, that in and of itself is a really important warning for us as a part of, of the church. Not just our individual church, but anybody who's listening to this, the church that you're part of, the church family you're part of, that we tend, we are like the worst at assessing ourselves. Yeah, I, I would even go so far as to argue Every one of the seven churches that received one of these letters from Jesus in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 were surprised to hear what he said. Yes. Either we thought we were awesome, and yep. Jesus said, you guys are not at all what you think you are, or, you know, the, 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 the incredibly positive letters are written to churches that are under intense persecution. So it would have been so easy for them to feel like, oh my goodness, like, we are the worst. Like God must hate us. Like we're under this constant persecution. Right. It's just this constant daily struggle. This is so difficult. And they receive a letter from Jesus himself saying, you guys are killing it. Like I am with you. I am for you. Like keep fighting the good fight of faith. Like I would imagine positively they would have been equally surprised as Laodicea and Ephesus would have been and Sardis to hear, yeah, you guys are not what you think you are. Yeah, and I, I think that—so you see that both when he says, for you say in verse 17 of Revelation 3, 
For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So he, he can contrasts, um, this, is, this is what you say about yourself, but you don't actually see the reality, and the reality is this. And then you know later in verse 18, he, he asks, for, he tells them to ask for salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. So this, this theme here of um, this is how you view yourself, but this is how I see you um, is, is really critical. And so, uh, so when we look at that and we say, okay, then what do, we, what do we learn from that? What do we take from that? Um, I mean, we'd ask then, okay, what are, what are the actual issues? So, so we'd say, first of all, it's corporate, right? Not, not individual, not based on individuals, but on a corporate church family. Um, second, we would say the primary issue here is that they don't they don't see themselves rightly. They don't they're not able to assess the actual situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I would argue as Christians that a couple of things that we take away right away from that is I I'm a part of a church family, a church body. So I'm not. I mean, yes, I'm individually like I'm saved, and you know, by I, I'm not saved by other people's faith. But that there's a sense of responsibility as a church family that I should feel. Um, but then also realizing, okay, but I need to look to God's word to assess and and look uh, look to one another and to help assess. I just I just need to not be so confident in my own personal assessment of what's going on, or even our our church's assessment. Um, so then the question is like, so what what are the issues there? Hmm. Right. And so, um, so, you know, when you just look at that list, Robbie, I mean, what, what jumps out at you when, when he says for you say, I am rich, I have prospered and I need nothing. What, what do you think is going on? I mean, there's a significant amount of self-reliance there, right? right? Like I am, I am satisfied. I don't need anything. I am comfortable. I am, you know, don't, I mean, there's a sense of like, don't mess with this, right? Like I'm, I'm comfortable. I like things the way they are. I have everything that I need. I'm doing great. Don't, don't mess with this, right? I mean, am I, no. am I? No, for sure. Sort of con- you know, and, that? and it also strikes me that how opposite the situation is too. So it's, it's not right. even like you say I, you say you're rich, and I just say you're solidly middle class. Right. Like, right? You could, right. you could be doing so much better. It's, you are pitiable right, and poor. Right. Yeah, it's the actual it's the things that you're boasting in are the things that are actually the negatives. Yeah. It's like that's the thing, is that it's it's not just that you're overestimating. You know, when he's saying to the church, it's not just that you're overestimating these things, it's that you're just looking at it completely backwards. So the thing you're boasting in is actually what I have against you. Hmm. You're rich in the wrong ways, you have prospered in the wrong ways, and you think you need nothing because you don't know what you don't have. Exactly. Hmm. That's good. That was a, hmm. <laughs> we should work on the sermons together. That was good. Hey. Um, so then, so, so that can feel like, uh, that's kind of a bummer. Like, so... I would look at that and say modern day. How do we translate that in modern day? I would say um, there, there's just a temptation, especially in the West, to – and when I say the West, I mean the, the Western world, so United States. Yeah, not Texas. Not no. Is that West? I don't know. Stop it. It's the Old West. Yeah, it's, it's literally the Old West. California is West. Colorado is West. That's Texas, the West Coast. Texas, 
Texas is Midwest. Anyway, not not uh, not going there. Anyway, don't say that to a Texan. I well, I don't say much to Texans. That's don't probably have, for the best. Don't have much. Don't have much cause to. It'll be very polite, um, but I mean, when your when your in laws come to visit, that's about the only time. Um, so when he when he says, so he gives the 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 response to it. So um, oh wait, I wasn't going to go to the response yet. I was going to say. Uh, you got me off track here with the Texas talk, Robbie. Sorry, man. Okay, back to the things that we measure incorrectly, and so That's churches. Channeling my inner Jay to right, you distract go, you from until it's the presentation time, man. Oh. Um, buildings, budgets, uh, the, attendance. These yeah. are the things yeah. that typically churches will measure. And when when we planted, I know I, I'm sure it was for you too, but there was always this thing for church plants of like, well, when do you when when you get a building and when you can be financially stable when you have critical mass of of people like then you know you're successful and it's not to say that those are all bad things it's the placing of your hope in those things of 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 taking those things as a guarantee that you're succeeding which there's a difference there right like you yeah. can i can be thankful when a bunch of people show up to worship and I could be really thankful and have been thankful for like, for example, of how our church has given through the pandemic. Um, incredibly thankful for that and see that as a blessing. But I don't take that as a guarantee that we are doing the work that is pleasing to God or that we are being the people that are honoring to Christ. Hmm. Right. So what makes that tricky, though, is... The metrics that are easy to measure are the ones that we should not necessarily be putting the stock into, right? Because it's easy yeah. to look at giving numbers. It's easy to look at attendance, um, right? I mean, you mentioned as church planters, when whenever meeting with other church planters, that's always the first, the first question, right? Like, what what kind of numbers are you running? Mm-hmm. And and we'll say that, and then ten minutes later, talk about you know. Well, and the important thing is numbers don't matter. It's about cha- you know transformed lives, and it's like, but how many number, but how many people are showing up on your Sunday, right? And and not understanding that, or 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 even feeling guilty sometimes at going, man, like I only have you know mm-hmm. twenty five people, and realizing yeah, but twenty three of them are like completely sold out, radically transformed, all in followers of Jesus which as you've mentioned a couple weeks now, like I would take 20 radically sold out, fully committed followers of Jesus who are actively seeking to love the Lord with their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbor as their self over a thousand attendees who are just kind of running through the motions. But it's way easier to measure the thousand attendees, right? Then... Yes than to say like what, but, but is actual discipleship taking place? And I think that's what Jesus is getting at here saying like, man, you're, you're measuring the wrong metrics. You've got, and, and, and according to those things, you're doing great. Great. You got a thousand people coming to your church. Great. You guys have, you know, you've never been in debt ever because your giving is awesome. But, but if you're not making this and, and here literally, but you've locked me out of the church, right? Verse 20, I stand at the door and knock. Right. So, 
fantastic. You've got an amazing building and the seats are always full. Nobody has noticed that I'm not even in the church. Right. That's a problem. So yeah. for us, how do we, like, since I don't, I mean, maybe by God's grace, it'd be awesome. Although I, I don't know what would be contained in it. So maybe I would not feel it was awesome if I actually did receive a direct letter from Jesus. But assuming that's not going to happen, how 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 do we guard our hearts? Because as we've already said, we're, we're not the best at self-evaluation. How do we guard ourselves from, from falling into the trap of the Laodiceans? Well, I, I think that there's a simplicity to the response that I think is important, which is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. I, this, he contrasts in verse 18, he gives the response to them. This is what I, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. So you think you're rich, but you're actually poor. So he says, buy from me gold refined by fire, which I think could be, you know, allusion to investing in the kingdom, like to put your treasures in, in heaven, to seek, to seek to, um, to seek to invest in the kingdom rather than to the things of this earth. And well, to that's not Colossians 3. Right? I mean, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If that's my perspective, then I am not relishing the fact that I am rich, prosperous, and need nothing. No, and and to your point earlier when you said, notice what was interesting about verse 17, that it was so self-reliant. Well, so is the assessment, like the assessment is self-reliant about things that I can control and measure. So yeah, you even yeah. said it with the things like, well, how do we f- um, keep from falling into this trap? Because these other things are easier to measure. Well, that's why we fall into the trap, because I want I want to be able to see how I'm doing. And what Jesus is warning them is saying, well, this is what you need to do. Don't don't prosper here in, in worldly wealth, but invest in the kingdom pursue he says white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen i mean these are being clothed in righteousness so pursue the kingdom pursue righteousness and then when if you say like well good heavens that's how in the world do you assess that like how can i how can i look and say well we are investing in the kingdom um how how do i measure that how do i measure that we're being clothed in righteousness well he says um salve ask for salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see so that's kind of the the contrast there is over here we have self-reliance on the things that i can produce and the things i can measure and he's saying pursue the things that only the spirit can give you and you'll be able to see only be able to see that with the spirit being empowered by the spirit and i think does that make sense am i connecting those two yeah i mean i think so yeah so I wish, like, man, like anybody else, I wish that we could just send out a survey or just, you know, create the right question to really solve this. But um, but the reality is that there just needs to be this overall pursuit of the kingdom and not settling for earthly indicators. Yeah. So we can have indicators, but these things are just meant to be, like, 
sure, like that can be it can be an indicator, but it should always be an indicator to something greater, you know. And what I think is really important in this um, is when he says in verse nineteen, "Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent." So if we or or any other church um, realizes, oh man, I'm I'm doing this right now, like we are. Um, you know, we're, we're measuring the wrong things. Well, he's saying, I, I'm not, I'm not warning you and bringing this to you because I hate you or because I've disowned you. It's, I reprove you and discipline you because I love you. And so turn and, and repent. And then he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So this is the beauty of this reconciliation and kind of what I was trying to point in on Sunday that faithfulness is what God measures. And so this church has literally shut Jesus out. They have pursued all the worldly things and have shut the imagery that Jesus is using here is that they've left him outside and they haven't even noticed. And his response to that is open the door and I will come back in and eat with you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the, the two things that stand out to me there are not that they have overtly rejected Jesus. No. They have no idea he's not even there. No. So this isn't a church that has said, we no longer believe in the supremacy of Christ and we overtly reject him. They think that they're following him, but have become so self-focused that they don't realize he's left the building and no one no one notices. But but the other thing that, that, st- that strikes me is, uh, as you just said, that that compassionate following welcoming like he has hard words but his hard words are 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 a pleading loving please please come back to me please do not continue down the trajectory that you're on i'm i'm telling you this because i love you and i have better things for you i i it's just it is so extraordinarily loving to people who I mean, uh, the third thing that's striking me is how I've never noticed before the direct parallel to Colossians and this. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's almost like verse by verse, idea for idea, because, I mean, Colossians 3, we talk about putting off the old self, putting on, clothing yourself in the new self. And here he's saying, you need need to clothe yourself in in these garments that I provide for you. And, And so the parallels are striking. And him saying, like, you did not heed the warnings that you were given decades right. ago you have you have continued on this trajectory and it is this this loving parental pleading that that should be comforting to know that that my Jesus loves me enough to to not want me to stay where I am to not want to continue in self-destructive uh, ideas and and especially in particular if those ideas are found in the church and and have been confused with with sincere worship of him in spirit and in truth. He wants to separate those those false traditions away from, from true worship because, because he loves us. I, I just think that's extraordinary. Yeah. I mean it really I think it is extraordinary that he that he loves us enough to warn us. And you just think about it, like the long suffering nature of of God and um and then I also am struck at the fact that this is, you know, and if people look at that and say, well, is this really, is this applicable to every church? And and I, I think you have to say 
that this is the norm. Like we talk about all the time of how we don't drift towards God, that like you said, you know, the average lifespan of the church of any given church is, you know, 40 to 50 years. It's just a couple of generations. And so the norm is this kind of swaying away and I drifting away. And I think that that's because whenever we, whenever God blesses, uh, you know, a church and you see great movement and you see really incredible things happen, it's our just desire to be self-reliant that then is how we kind of move it into formulas. And so instead of seeing it as an act of God, that all of these people were changed during this event, whatever this event is, um, we see it as like, well, this event is what changed people. And, you know, or this program is what changed people. And we just always have to be careful. And it doesn't really matter, you know, it's just generation to generation, those things always change the methods and, and the programs and the all those things kind of shift and change and move. Um, but the temptation is always there. Anytime, anywhere you see God do this incredible thing, human nature is going to be to want to give credit to what we can control so that we can replicate yeah. it. Because nobody wants to read the book. Uh, I prayed and God did it. The end. Like, I want the formula, right? I want to know what are the steps that I have to take? What are the things that I have to do to be able to create that? Yeah. And, and I want the self-satisfaction of knowing it was my effort that accomplished that and that the idea of simply surrendering to Christ, like the, the only thing that I can say I have credit for is I stopped getting directly in his way is, isn't super self-satisfying. No. And yet, like, that's, that's where abundant life and everlasting joy is found. Like, so why do I continue to fight against that? Yeah, and it's so great. So uh, years ago, um, I'll share this story, and this will probably, then you're going to want to cut me off and finish it. But this, when I went to plant a church in Colorado, uh, there was like this just rush of people um, to, that came to Denver area to try to plant churches. And, and so people from cities all over like with um with the southern baptists like they all these different networks in other different cities called the people in denver saying like how did you you know how did you get so many people to show up well what had happened was my mentor um, and good friend he he worked with the church planting director for the state and they decided they had all these strategies of going to seminaries and recruiting and doing all these things they finally they were praying one time and they were praying Luke 10 2, that, you know, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore seek earnestly or pray earnestly, um, ask the Lord for laborers to enter the harvest. And, um, and so they just started doing that and they determined to not do anything but that. So they pulled all of their recruiting. They pulled all of their, like they stopped, sending people to seminaries. They stopped producing literature. They stopped doing everything. They just, every single day, every single day, no matter where they were in the world, because they were, they would go all over the world doing things, they would call each other and they would pray and ask God to send laborers. And before they knew it, they started getting inundated with people coming to want to plant a church. And when 
my favorite was when people would call and ask them like, so, okay, but what did you do? They would say, well, we just prayed and asked God to send laborers. That's awesome. We love that. But what did you do? Right. <laughs> in addition to that. Right. And part of but what, what they did said, you do? Right. And part of what they said was, and, and when they were doing it, their supervisors were like, well, that's not enough. You need to do other things. And they just, they want, they so wanted to do it in a way that there could just be literally nothing. Like you just couldn't dismiss it any other way. You couldn't, you couldn't attribute to anything else. And I just think, man, why? I mean, it was pretty brave of them. These were their, this was their job. Their job was to cultivate and recruit and send out church planters for Colorado. And they just completely banked on the fact of God said, if we ask him, he'll give them, he'll send them. So love that. I just wonder what would happen here. Like, you know, just that, that conviction to say, well, man, what are the things that we want to see happen in our church family and in our community? And why, you know, prayer often barely makes the top 10. So not only, not only should that be number one, but why is it not like that? And then as he opens doors and tells us to go step through them, then we go. But, but yeah, that's a, it's, it's scary because we feel like, well, I should probably, I should probably figure out something better, like, or at least a backup plan or something. But so we do need to wrap this one up, but I think you have just introed a future podcast with the question being, why do we believe that praying is doing nothing? That's a, yeah. I'm not going to answer that right now. I'm going to honor the fact that you're right. That's a different podcast. Good, Robbie. This is why we keep you on. Hey, thanks for keeping me around. And thank you guys for sticking around and listening to this. If you have questions, though, make sure you let us know. And, uh, and just thoughts on anything we just we really appreciate it's good for us and good for our souls to have um you know we've heard from a lot of people that this is helpful but it's just good for us to process through these things and letting you kind of see um just how how we go about thinking about these things and um it's just been it's been encouraging for us to know that it's been helpful and so we will continue to do this as long as it is helpful to our church So thanks for listening, church. Have a great week. Have a great Thanksgiving.